find the team members before you actually need them. Uh, yeah. I think it's a, it's a critical. I think oftentimes people are too reactive in building a team, meaning like, oh, I just yeah. realized I needed uh, a bricklayer, so therefore I, you know, I'll, yeah. I'll go hire them. But you know, or oh, I just realized I need a, a manager here. And by then, like by the time you find, put out the ad, um, hire, like you've already wasted so much time and productivity. I think, yeah. you know, what you should be doing is always, I have this, this mantra, which is always be looking. All right. So here's the thing. I think one of the most important things in life that I've learned over the years, Jim, and I'm not sure if you have felt the same way, but it's like, I think when we're younger, we have this tenacity to want to just think I can do this on my own. Like there's that rugged individualism to, you know, that you beat your own yourself just like I can do this on my own. You push and push and push. And there's a point in, I think everybody's life where you just start to going, I can't do this alone. Like this is just hard work doing this alone. And that's when we, we kind of, there's this this thing that switches in your gear and your in your head that's like you know what this is be so much more fun and better and easier if i actually built a team around me and this is what i think what we want to talk about today is the format of how do you build a team how do you lead a team how do you you know really guide a team and train a team i think that's the the topic of today so jim tell, tell me maybe uh i'll ask you a first question maybe to start saying yeah. how important do you think a team is in your life uh personally and also and professionally or and or Oh, Lawrence, this is this topic could go in so many different directions. Uh, and to answer your question specifically, paramount, uh, so important. You know, the, I'm reminded of the old the African proverb, the one that says, "If you want to go uh, fast, go alone, and if you want to go far, go together." And it really epitomised for that. me because in the earliest part of my career, um, I did exactly what you're talking about. I had whether it was just drive initiative. I just, I could basically just get things done and myself, but I realized that it wasn't either scalable or sustainable because for me to keep growing, I had to put, you know, I, I had, I didn't have a multiplier effect in my influence, in my impact because it all came down to me and, and a really big shift. You know, if I wanted to work harder, I had to have to work at 130% of my capacity, which is not sustainable. And it was once I realized that the power of the team, we could then leverage our efforts to a multiplier effect, 100 times what I could do by myself uh, with the power of the team. You know, it's just, it's not to say, I think it's really important to say that, is that, it's not to say that you can't do anything alone, right? But yeah. I, there's leverage in a team, a partnership. And it's like this podcast, right? Like we could individually do a podcast alone, but it's so much more fun and yeah. you know doing it with, with with you and and also too like there's the ideas and the conversation the dynamics changes when there's another person involved and so that so i think it speaks the same thing when it comes to business where can you have a business all on your own yeah of course but there's some benefits to a massive benefit i think a scalable benefit where it comes down to uh when it when you build the team and not just talking about profit or just you know work done i think it's all productivity it's it's actually just also there's uh different dynamics when it comes to what you're able to create when you're working as a team and i think this is and we'll maybe dive into that in a second but also too and let's not forget a team in a relation in and in a personal life is just as important like it's 
of course, like, you know, it's easy to, you know, you can actually live your life. I mean, I was single for a long time. And then when you bring a partner right, and having the right team member, like the, you know, my wife, um, changes the dynamics of that and leverage. And, you know, and I think that's the same realm it, it, it's whether it be personal or professional, it helps to have a team together. I find. Yeah. I, I love the whole home team, uh, example that you talked about Lawrence because fundamentally yeah that's great that's we have a home family team and obviously a, a life team business team etc cetera, etc cetera. so that's a really good point that you make because you know when you talk to a lot of people quite often, I remember a financial advisor once coming talking to us while we were still students and says look let me let me give you some advice and we went okay we're ready to um jot these bit, bit of wisdom down that you had he said listen choose your partners carefully and uh, we were like, what? What are you talking about? I thought you were going to give us the next hot tip in the investment. He goes, no, look, from a guy who's been um, married and separated three times, um, the team that you and the, the partnership that you set up with your partner is a really important one. So I think that's a, you know, I, I hadn't even considered that as an avenue of team, but I'm really glad that you had that because fundamentally that's the biggest, most important foundational team that as a bedrock has been really helpful in our success as well. Yes, yeah, it's, it's, the, it's the foundation team that uh, yeah. that sets up the other teams, right? So, um, and it's so important. And again, like I'm, I want to be very clear. It doesn't mean that you can't, you know, be single and be successful. I'm just saying, like choosing the life one life partner and, and the right partner you want to experience life with. It's one of the most important decisions. And then we kind of talked about in our last podcast, you know, with you celebrating your thirtieth, uh, you know, wedding yeah. anniversary, like that you know, that bedrock is uh, what changes the dynamics and the direction of who you are today. I have no doubt you credit, you know, uh, your wife to, to becoming the man you are. And I, I do too. And, uh, and without our significant others would not have accomplished anywhere close to um, where we are without them in, in our lives. Mm -hmm. And uh, in their roles are so significant. And I would imagine that they'll be the same. They would say the same thing. Well, I hope so anyways, but yeah. Yep. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> All right. So well, let's, let's talk about like the first thing I think we, we established the fact that number one, yes, the fact is having a team is so, so much more fun, more leverage, uh, and, you know, increased productivity and all, all, I mean, everybody knows that, but here's the problem. How do you build a team? Like that, I think that's, that's the, one of the most challenging things I think. So let's start with some of the highlights of what we think uh, requires to build a team. So, Jim, I'll start with you. Yeah, yeah. I, I think a, a really great book that, that set the foundation for me for this was The E Myth, and uh, by Michael Gerber. And that was a really great book because it highlighted that when you're in your business, there are spe three specific roles or hats that you need to wear at some stage. There's the technician, there's the manager, and then there's the entrepreneur or, or, or visionary. And when you're doing it by yourself. Like you said, it's not that you can't do it, but you have to allocate equal parts to each part of those roles. You can't just focus on the technical side only with the expectation that your deal flow or your pipeline or your next client is taken care of. And that's probably one of the biggest disconnects for a lot of people who uh, think that what I do should be enough. And in the perfect world, you'd put your shingle up and that would be great. However, for you to prepare for bringing on a team, what you take for granted and you just do, you need to allocate documents so that the next person coming along has an idea of how they could add value as opposed to just being a wing head. So I'm going to, I'm going to start yeah. off with that. 
as a starting point of getting those clear distinctions for me was really helpful. Yeah. Okay. Perfect. So I, I like that a lot. And, uh, I read that book, uh, when I was a student and that was about 20 someone years ago and it definitely influenced yeah. me a lot. I think, you know, let's carry on with that. I think, you know, the entrepreneurial part of what Michael Gerber talks about, which is what you said alluded to was the visionary. Yeah. I think building a team yeah. requires you to have some clarity of a vision of what you're trying to build. There's no point yeah. building a team for building a team's sake without a clarity of yeah. exactly what you're trying to build. It's almost like, hey, I want to build a house, but I don't know what the house looks like. And so you just get a yeah. bunch of people to start working on things. But then if you don't actually have a plan, if you don't have the architectural plans of what you're trying to build or what is at least going to look like at the, at the end of it, what's the point of having a team? You're just really yeah. creating jobs for people. And then all of a sudden you're you're creating a position where you're, you, you're, you're a great employer. Uh, but with no direction. Yeah. And so I think building yeah. a team yeah. requires you to number one, fundamentally know exactly what you're trying to build. And then two, which is then going, who do I need, right? Um, yeah. To help me create that vision. And I think that's yeah. how you build the team is that you have to have the vision of where you want to go, but then you have to have the vision of who are the components that will actually help you. Cause there's no point hiring a, um, you know, say a carpenter, if you're, your, your house doesn't require any woodwork, you know? So it's like yeah. hiring the right people for the right uh, vision that you actually have. Yeah, and you've got to have the complementary skills that support that. So if we use Michael Gerber's example and that as a frame, uh, where, you know, I'm glad you mentioned about home team because here is where it's really worked very well for us as a family, Bettina and I, because she has skills that, are, that amplify anything that I can do and are very complementary. So in Michael Gerber's example, you've got the technician, basically the manager and the, the visionary. By natural uh, default, my areas that I love spending most of my time in were always the visionary things. And, and I like doing things up until the point where I realised oh, I'm going to focus more on the vision. But the problem is you can stay in visionary land all the time and you blue sky and you can get around other people who are visionaries and it's awesome, it's great. You use all the oxygen up in the air, but you get nothing done. And so what Bettina was able to do for us, because that's a specific skill set she has, is she was able to create a process and a system and manage the vision to break it down so that it could be actioned. Because if it was only just for me, I, you know, there, and this is part of the whole thing that I'm, I'll share as we're going on. I enjoyed the technical side of it. And I felt I was very good at that. I was great at the vision. I could see where we were going, but I sometimes didn't have the systems and the scalability um, amplifiers that allowed the vision to come to fruition. Building a team needs that complementary elements, and that's why that clarity of the vision and the clarity of the people who you need is going to be so important. I, uh, I think the challenge, uh, I think, when building a team is about building the team in the right manner. Um, I'll add yeah. to the, to, to, we'll just keep on riffing on like, what, what are the, some of the elements? These are not in any particular order. I think it's also too, is like find the team members before you actually need them. Uh, yeah. I think it's a, it's a critical, I think oftentimes people are too reactive in building a team, meaning like, oh, I just yeah. realized I needed uh, a bricklayer. So therefore I, you know, I'll, yeah. I'll go hire them, but you know, or, oh, I just realized I need a, a manager here. And by then, like by the time you find put out the ad, um, hire, like you've already wasted so much time and productivity. I think, yeah. you know, what you should be doing is always, I, I have this, this mantra, which is always be looking, like always yeah. be looking for great people. Correct. And to me, and we'll get into this maybe in the hiring part is that it's never about the skill. To me, I'm always looking for the personality, 
and the character of the person and the drive. If they have that, yeah. I almost like there was one one girl that I, I really liked uh, in our local grocery store, Coles in back back in Newport. And uh, she was just switched on. You can just tell she had a great, strong work ethic. You knew that this was a part time job for her. Uh, while she's going through school or something. I never really asked her background story until much later, but every time I showed that store, she would be the one who would go out of her way to make sure that the lines were as short as possible. If she saw us like in line at like three deep, she will open a new lane just to make sure that there's like efficiency. Yeah. Like you can just tell someone was someone constantly looking out. I'm like, and I, I wasn't hiring anything. And, but in my mind, I'm like, I'm trying to find like, how can I find a position for her? Right. I don't know what that yeah. position is, yeah. but how do I find yeah. that position for her? And, you know, as soon as I got to know her, it was a little bit like she was in school and what she was studying. And, but that's what I mean. It's like, where can you constantly look for people? Good, good character people. You, those are hard to find uh, skills. Yeah. We can train them. It's characters yeah. that I'm looking for. And I think so. My advice is always be looking, find people before you need them. Yeah, I think that's that's a really good thing. Having an awareness, identifying talent and identifying characteristics that you then can cannot, you know, as I said, identify. Because if you're looking for a specific role, then that comes with so many different people's interpretation of how to do that role. That isn't necessarily complementary to what you're looking for. So I love that. I love what you're saying. There's actually, uh, we do the same thing. We'd go to the major shopping centres and we and we'd take our car into the valet service and there were people, there were two or three people that we'd come across and go, oh, we would hire them in a, in a heartbeat because they had this awareness for a front of um, office role or, or a customer service role. They were phenomenal in it. You probably, and, and I think this is a really important distinction, is that the girl you were talking about, you would want to amplify her natural uh, skill set and not necessarily put her in charge of accounts receivable where that talent may not be manifested to its highest expression. So I think it's a case of identifying talent, which is really important, and also putting them in roles that actually suit that and allow that natural brilliance to come through. Because these people were brilliant in that front of house role. They may not have been as great doing an accounts receivable role. So I think the next iteration of that is always looking for people and then thinking about where they can do their best work within your organization. You know, it's so true. Like, I, and, and I love that part because it's such an important element is finding the right people for the right role. And, 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 and so there's an analogy that I've, I've heard from, and I wish I can give credit to where, where this comes from. I can't remember exactly, but it's like finding the, maybe it's good to great. I can't remember if it's from Jim Collins or not, but it's like, it's that, you know, having the vision of where we're going to go. We talked about that already. So that's where the bus is supposed to be going. Right. And each bus, which is the business you have, um, has respective seats assigned. And that seat yep. is the role of that particular person. So each seat has a yep. different role. And really it's about being very clear and going, hey, this bus is uh, this bus number 11 is going this way. It's going this direction, right? And it's going north. And then, but it's like each seat uh, has a specific spot. So if you want to come and join this team, if you want to go to this, you know, going north to say, I don't know, let's just go say we're going to Broome. And if yep. that's where you want to go to, come on board. But if you're going to sit on that seat, make sure you are going to do that role. If you don't want to be on board, if you don't like where we're going, you know, if you don't like this bus being black, you know, black colored and it's like, you know, or it's going this direction, then don't get on the bus. Like there's the door. It's okay. We'll find someone else in the role. So it's like, if you're going to occupy a space in this bus, be very, very clear, right? That you are part of this team to, to perform that role on that seat. 
And I think that's really yeah. important from the, from your perspective on what you just said. Yeah, totally. And, and it reminds me, there's a, there's, a, there's a band. I'm not sure if you ever came across them. They're called Sig Sig Sputnik. Did you ever come across them? No, I haven't. Okay. What's unique about these guys is that he, there was someone who said, we can teach anybody anything. So what they, they, there was this experiment where they, they tried to form a band with people who looked like a, a drummer who couldn't play drums. And they figured, you look like a drummer, you look like a guitarist, you look at this, we can teach you that. And they formed this band around people who looked like they had all the elements of what a great, uh, basically, guitarist would look like, and they taught them the skills. So it highlights what you're basically saying is that high for attitude, train for skill. That's awesome. That's a that's a great story. That's a great story. All right. So let, let, I think we we talked about several elements of, of building a team. Like the ch- I think the next challenge would be like how do you lead a team? Let's talk about some of the components of leading a team because that is that is I think where well first of all like building a team is important. Uh, actually no. Let's let, let's before we go into leading the team, I think what we need to do is hiring a team member. Uh, what yep. what are some of your best practice about hiring teams? Like, this is where most people get it wrong. Um, they get yeah. so if you don't get the right vision, you don't get the right people, you don't get the right complementary skills. That's a problem. Uh, if you don't know those, that's a problem. So, but then you go, okay, now I know those things, but then they go, they, but they screw it up by yeah. hiring the wrong person for the wrong role. So, or hiring the wrong person in general. We kind of touched a little bit on this. So let's kind of go with there. Um, what are your best practices for uh, hiring? Well, before I get to best practices, I want to talk about worst practices because a lot of the times yeah, that. that that's how you get better at doing that, right? So. Um, anything that I've learned from experiences sometimes it has been because of bad decisions, bad choices earlier on. I think when I first started, it was like, hey, this is what I'm like. If someone was excited or I liked them, then I went, okay, you have you have the elements of what would be a great team member. So I think that didn't work. I, I could I, I basically wasn't clear enough on the specific skill sets that I was looking for in someone the characteristics, the character traits, and also how they could complementarily complement what we we're looking for. So to me, that was the biggest learning. So as a practice, I had to get really, really clear on what I was looking for, why, and how to basically test and measure that competency uh, moving forward. Yeah. So when I when I hire, there's uh, the, the three there's three rules that I, I kind of hire through, uh, and they're filtered in that specific order. So the first first rule of thumb for me is that it they I have to like what we already talked about. And I know beating this, you know, continuously from 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 various points, but I'm hiring for personality and characteristic, and that like that personality uh, has to suit the job, the the characteristic, and also the drive. If the person has no drive. Uh, I don't care how nice of a person they are. I'm not hiring a nice person for because they're nice. That's you know that's one of yeah. the worst. Um, like that's I made that mistake many times. It's about yeah. hiring for the right drive because if they don't have the yeah. drive, then I'm just carrying them. I'm just creating a job so they can be you know employed uh, and and supporting their family and not mine. So which is not ideal. And that's what I think a lot of people end up doing. And so number one is that we're hiring for that first. Now the second thing I think uh, so once they pass through, if they're the right personality the right characteristics of something i want okay now they go through the second ring okay so then the second uh uh, second level the second level then what i'm looking for now is being very specific going where's the proof of that okay Mm -hmm. where's the evidence show me from the past in your life history and experience that you what you what i see in your personality or what you say your personality is is there a proof of that right because 
of course, if you ask someone like, oh, so what are your, uh, what are your strengths or what are your weaknesses? Or if you ask someone who's like, uh, you know, uh, can you handle adversity? They can say all the nice, I mean, I would, yeah. right? if I was getting interviewed, yeah. I've been in many interviews, of course, I'm going to say all the things I feel like you want to hear, but where's the proof? Because here's the thing, yeah. just because I say something doesn't mean that my actions match that. I want to know from the people that I'm hiring that the action is aligned with what they're saying. Okay. I can say, oh, let's, let's kind of use it. If uh, I say uh, I'm a, I don't know, I'm going to pick an example. Uh, I'm a, uh, a strong Christian. Let's just say I'm a strong Christian. Okay. Right. I believe in God. Da, 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 and I, I know I dedicated my life. Da, 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 right. But if you, but the action says, you know, you don't go to church on a regular basis or you don't like, you're not nice to people or you're not, your behavior doesn't match that, then whatever you say has no credibility. And so that's my second level. The second level is like, where's the proof? Show me through your history and through the conversation. The questions I would ask is to try to dig at that. Okay. You said you have drive. Show me. What have you done? Like, what have you done in your resume? What have you done in the past and projects where you actually demonstrated drive, uh, you know, or efficiency or productivity or uh, just uh, self-efficiency? Like, those are the things I'm kind of looking for, right? Once I get past that level, okay, you have proof in your characteristics, you have proof in evidence. Then the third level is like, okay, do you have the minimum skills I need? Right. So it's going to reverse that skills is not the first thing is the last thing I'm looking for. Do they have, if I'm hiring someone for the you know front of house and they, they need to work on a computer. Well, I need some minimal skills on computer. Like if you never don't even know how to turn on, like I actually had a case where one of my clients is like, they were hiring someone and they're like, oh, I don't think this is the right person. And uh, the minimum skill was obviously working on a computer. And when she started saying, goes, um, so where's the mouse? That's a problem, right? <laughs> that's, that's, like, that's a problem. Like they could be the nicest person. They might have yeah. some proof of all that. But if you can't work on computer and your job requires you work on computer, okay, that might be an issue. So that's yeah. where the skill set, you know, if I'm looking for a chiropractor, well, you might be the nicest person. You might have drive ambition, but if you have no skills to adjust, well, that's a potential, that's yeah. a huge problem, right? Because there's a yeah. minimum skill set that requires. So that's my th sort of three levels uh, of hiring. And obviously the questions uh, and during the interview process uh, is is could try to gear towards like, trying to dig that out of someone. Yeah, great great distinctions, Lawrence, and, and and really they come out of experiences where we may not have done that. You know, I know I've had someone who, as you said, said exactly the right things, wanted said exactly, and being the visionary. See, here's the thing: for visionaries, you get suckered in. If someone has the shame in vision, you suddenly go, "Man, we're kindred spirits. We're like we're on this path. We're we're going together." But I've had scenarios where whoever who showed up at the interview is not the same person who showed up uh, basically in the role. So that was a big reality check for me. And so you, you talked a lot about a little bit about leadership. Uh, I'm going to jump ahead and then come back. Is I had to identify where my blind spots were as a person who was recruiting people because it couldn't be enough that, as you said, had those three skills that there was some a critical component that I was missing that I had to really develop it myself. So um, in order to, to bring someone on to be part of the team, I had to get better at the skill of talent identification. And you, really you mentioned something important. really interesting. Uh, is like, you know, we learn from all this through, through mistakes. And that's absolutely true. You can read all this stuff in a book. I'm sure we all read books. And like, honestly, you're not, like you learn from a book, but the reality is that the experience comes from when you actually hire the wrong person or you go through the process of like just realizing like this is a lot harder than what a book yeah. tells you 
Um, and the reality is like the cost of hiring the wrong person is very costly. It's not just like the salary or the missed opportunity. It's like the retraining of this person. Like yeah. it is about, I can't remember what the stat there was like five times this person's salary or yeah, 10 times this person's salary that, or something yeah. like that. Um, by, by, um, can't remember his first name. Smart was his last name. I think he talked about that. Brad Smart, I think was his name. And he talked about like how a wrong hire can really derail your business. And that's why it's such an important, um, aspect of hire slow, fire fast, right? That's the yeah. mantra that, that, that people kind of talk about. Yeah. And, and the whole hiring and, and firing fast, I've been guilty of that one as well too, where, uh, you, you basically, you look for the good in people and I had kept people in roles much longer than they needed to be. So when you talk about the cost of rehiring, yeah, it's costly, but what does it cost you having the wrong person in your business for a lot longer than they need to? It's like, you don't even want to think about what that happened, what happened. So I've, I've done them all. I've been guilty of them all along the way. And that was cutting our teeth on the experience of learning how to be a great leader and what the team members look for, but then also how to, how to create a performance culture around that the, the supports basically keeping getting better. So yeah, yeah there's, there's a, there was definitely a client of mine once and uh, there was a person that they just had to let go and, and it really, but there's like us, we're nice people, you know, we just, we yeah. just can't let people go and then we just hang on and hang on. And, and um, eventually got to the point where he, you know, finally made a decision to let go and to, to, to let the person go. And as soon as they did that, the amount of people that called back and said, you know, cause you know, when they start coming back in, they, they do recalls and get people back in again. The amount of people is like, oh, I, I, I'm glad you got rid of that person because I stopped coming because of that person. And wow. we're talking, yeah. I, I, within a, a, a span of about a month, their their business grew by a minimum of about thirty percent. Yeah, that's huge. Not from doing anything else yeah. other than like just, and it was all simply because. See, the, the thing is, is that you're so hung up on this one person and and feeling the. Uh, the guilt or whatever to let someone go. The, but the problem is that you're, you're, you're taking the hit on, on the business side of thing and you don't even know it because people move on. You don't even realize they're gone. You don't realize that the, 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 the business is declining because of that. And it's really hard to see because you want, you, you know, we are, we, we're trying to do the right thing. We're trying to make sure we hang on to people. We want to make sure that we don't, we don't. And it's, let's face it. Not only that are we nice people, the, the other part is that we don't want confrontation, right? So we're yeah. trying to avoid the confrontation, but your business is tanking at the same time and you don't even realize it. And yeah. I don't know. I always say I have this line. It's like, you know, we built this business. We built any business, not the, the point of the business isn't to keep people employed so yeah. they can have a job, right? <laughs> like, you know, you got to fundamentally remember that. Like we build a business so that we can achieve our mission. Right. Yeah. So our job is to hire people so they can actually help advance that mission quicker um, yeah. and get there more efficiently. And I think that's really important. And you got to lock that into people and uh, in, in entrepreneurs is that we tend to not let go of people uh, quick enough because we're, we're so stuck on avoiding confrontation and avoiding the pain of doing it. It sucks. I will say yeah. this. I will say firing someone. I've done it twice. Uh, it is the one of the worst feelings in the world. Right. It sucks. Um, but I do believe that most businesses will go through it.
at least yeah. once or twice in their lifetime. Yeah, well, look, right now, the, the, there are massive layoffs that are occurring, you know, and, and fundamentally, it's the principle of having to cut off the branch to save the tree. So it's effectively, it's out of necessity. And so when the financials of a company are threatened, yeah, you, you, you're thrust into a situation where you have to make a decision for the livelihood of your organisation. I guess what you're talking about and, and what I've also come to understand too is when you're not in dire straits and you're tolerating, you know, you, the old principle of you get what you tolerate, if you're tolerating an element of underperformance by virtue of the fact that you as a leader aren't making the best decisions for your for your business or your company, that's ultimately going to hurt you. It's going to derail your vision and keep you further away from what you're looking at. So, yeah, absolutely. Um, and, you know, and I think uh, fire and fast, like we'll, we'll, go, we'll go with that too as well, is that there's one golden rule that I've listened to, which is, I think is really important, is that if you had to let someone go and it's a surprise to them, yeah, that's on you. Yeah. Um, and meaning like what, the, what that really means is that it should never be a surprise to the person who you let yeah. go because there should be an ample warning uh, to let them know like you're not performing, you're not performing, you're not performing and they're not changing. So when you do let them go, it shouldn't be a surprise to them. But if it's a surprise to yeah. them, then you definitely haven't done your job to let them know that they have not been a um, equipped or they're not been uh, performing at their best. And uh, so that's why I think that's a good golden rule to kind of live by. Yeah, I think it's really good. It was I mean, Jack Welch used to do that years ago in, in GE. Uh, when he, he, but he used to have a, a much stricter uh, policy where he, he, he would fire the bottom 5% of, of, of organization every year. But fundamentally, I remember him saying that. He goes, that's right. It should never come as a, as a surprise to him. And it's actually cruel to keep people in a role. I mean, yeah, there was probably element of, of justification in, in that action by Jack in there as well. But, but there's an element of what you're saying that I took out of what he said then as well. And that was invariably, you're not being honest with people. If they're not suited to that role and they're underperforming, uh, you're compromising something, either their progress or the viability of your business. And that's not actually being honest and transparent. I think that another mistake as we're going through some of this stuff is, uh, and this, I think it's easier to go through mistakes, uh, is the mistake of, um, overestimating someone's value. Mm -hmm. And I think when you're hiring someone, oftentimes we see, because you, like you said, we see the good in people and the tendency of that is that we see the potential of that, what that person is. But the reality is, I think, is that we can see the potential and, and we look in the good in people. So therefore we see the potential. The challenge is, is that do they rise to the top? Do they rise to their own potential? And the reality is that most people, um, everybody has potential but can they do it? Like, can they reach their potential is the challenge. I mean, I, you know, it, it's, it, and that's in a personal endeavors and also professional endeavors. That's why I look for character and personality yeah. because if the character and the personality doesn't have the drive in them to reach or come close to the potential, then having potential is useless. How many, like let's use af, uh, athletes as an example, how many athletic prospects that are drafted um, to be the top you know, first round, you know, draft pick in any particular sport fizzled, never made it yeah. to, to living up to the potential. It happens every single year in every single sport. It happens all the time. They have all the skill set. They also have all the, the, the attributes in terms of physicality, but it comes down to like, do they have the heart and yeah. do they have the heart? Can they translate the heart into action? And sometimes like the best of the best are the ability to be the people who perform. Like, I mean, you look at the, let's say the greatest basketball player, the Michael Jordan, the Kobe Bryant's right. 
they weren't great. Yeah. Were they extreme amazing athletes? Yes, of course. Were they were they fit for their roles in terms of size from backward? Yes, they do. But you know what made the difference? Why were they the greatest of all time? Was because they worked at it. They trained mm. at it, right? Someone who was similar. I mean, let's, Michael Jordan is a classic story. He would, he was cut from their high school basketball team, right? Yeah. So he wasn't the greatest player back then, but you know, it took time for him to develop and so on and so forth. And that is what that matters, right? Wayne Gretzky being in hockey, say for example, you know, he was he wasn't big. He was a small player comparatively to you know he was quite young. He became great because he just kept on working at it and working at it and and had the discipline to. Where someone else, sometimes I think we live in this entitlement world where sometimes we think we're so good at something, we're physical, you know, beings that to to help you in one particular sport, or think we're smart enough, we don't have to try hard. And when you don't try yeah. hard, that becomes the problem. And I think that's the main distinction between. Um, oh, sorry, I mean I want, had this one thought I want to share, which is like the danger of uh, of with, with kids and younger kids, right? It's like like the danger is saying that you're smart, and I think that's a massive danger, right? Because as soon as you think you're smart, it becomes a problem because then you go, well, I don't have to try. But the reality, we both know it's nothing to do with how smart or not smart you are. It actually has everything to do with effort, right? Because yeah. the effort is what changes you, right? And being smart, as soon as you come up with a failure at one point, then all of a sudden it goes, you tell a story, oh, I'm not, I must not be smart anymore. But that's not true. It's just that you may not have put effort into that test or that exam or whatever. And that's the problem. It's the effort that you put in um, is so much better than the, you know, thinking that you're good or not good at any given thing. Yeah. Lawrence, yeah, that, that was a great, that last uh, couple of minutes or so of what you were talking about. Honestly, I've, I've got about 65 comments and ideas that have just come out of the struggle. And we could go in any different direction. So I have to discipline myself to to just bring it back to team. Um, this is the multiverse. It is. It's a multiverse, right? So in a multiverse, we'll be splitting out in multiple screens, and we go to each and every one of those. Specifically, what you said about I, I'm going to bring it to team, right? Um, and thank you for I, bringing this back, by the way. No, 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 no. Look, I love it, obviously, because I, I I go there, and I sometimes go, no, look, just rein it back in, bring it in, Jim, because you you, you I could talk to you for hours about a whole lot of things. But in this context, I want to talk about what you said about Michael Jordan and Michael Jordan, phenomenal in there. So it raises the concept of a team of champions versus a champion team. Because a lot of the time, individually, you can have people who may or may not be getting the best out of themselves. And Michael Jordan in his, his capacity did. So what is it that separates a group of Michael Jordans? And we've seen that time and time again where you have people who get together, who on the surface look brilliant, fantastically, should thrive, and yet they're beaten by a champion team. People who had characteristics, traits, attributes, habits that cause them to over-exceed. And I think, uh, over-excel, I should say. I think, if, if you've ever come across a guy called Patrick Lincioni, who wrote a yes. book oh, called The Fight Dysfunction. Uh, author and yep. Yeah, to, and fundamentally, that to me is the the baseline of what separates great teams versus teams that aren't right so uh, for, for people who haven't uh, familiar, uh, familiarity with it it's a great concept great um, paradigm it's basically you talked about five steps that are really important you know you fundamentally have to have trust you know uh, next level you have to have um, honesty next level i think was commitment 
Fourth was accountability and fifth was results. So effectively, so I'll say that again, it's basically um, you've got to have trust. Next level up was uh, honesty. Next level was commitment. Next level was accountability. And next level was results. So if we look at that as a concept, we've kind of touched on that. Um, and we have, probably haven't spoken about the trust component, Florence, where perhaps you could talk about that. How important is trust in your team? You know, whether it's the culture, whether there are expectations, where you can rely on someone to do what they said. They, how important can you talk to that? Uh, yeah, I, I think, you know, I'm going to share with one story uh, and then we'll kind of lean back into trust. So make sure I come back to that. Like, okay. I, I want to continue the story about Michael Jordan, what you said about champions and a champion versus champions team. So like, Michael Jordan, when if you look at his career, um, I mean, I, let's face it, I hated the Bulls because uh, that was my brother's team. Uh, I was a Lakers fan. I was more of a magic team. So um, the reality was that, you know, when you think about uh, the the Bulls were you know, when Michael Jordan got drafted, his first couple of years, he was great, but he never won anything. And mm -hmm. that was the big difference. So he never won anything because he was he was a great individual. It wasn't until they brought in the coach, uh, Phil Jackson. They, it wasn't until they brought in the Scottie Pippins, you know, the Dennis Rodmans, and all those people coming together, like working together, that actually created the championship team that then won, you know, all those championships, right? And so coming back to uh, what you said around um, the trust is that if you don't have trust, if your teammates don't have trust within yourselves, there's no way they're going to be able to accelerate. There's no way they're going to be able to get to uh, the, the next level. And that trust is like, it's, it's in, trust is, it's, it's not tangible, right? You got to trust, it's like, you, you got to know that you have someone uh, who's going to look after your backside, who's going to be able to know that yeah. they're always going to be there. And the teams that I know I follow, the sports teams I have, like there's, you know, I, I'm a, I follow certain teams like 49ers is one of them. And it's like, you can just tell when the team is gelling, when you got a team of 54, you know, people, like you can tell because there's trust in them in terms of what they do. I think that's really important. Trust is a massive, massive factor because you, like I said earlier, let's bring this back to earlier what we said, each person on the bus has to have a certain role. The trust needs to be that, the other team members are doing their role and performing their job. Because yeah. if you don't have trust in the other people doing their job, then all of a sudden you have to not only do your job, you have to also worry about the other people. And that's a huge problem, right? And then that's when, because la that little bit lack of trust leads into other things of them going, well, if I can't trust them in that, then I can't trust them in this. And then yeah. there's no cohesion and that really affects the culture. Yeah. When you talk to people who have been parts of, whether it's people who have uh, been in the military, whether they've been in sporting teams, whether like when you watch a high performing team, uh, there's a buzz about them. There's, there's a trust. It's like, hey, I know that's your specific role. I can trust you to execute that. You've got my left and right flank covered. That gives me confidence and certainty. So then that elevates me. I don't know if you've ever had that scenario, Lawrence, I know I certainly have where I didn't have full trust, the full trust in a team member. So consequently, it took me out of what I should have been doing because I was second guessing, or not second guessing, but I was worrying about what, the, what they were doing with that correctly. So fundamentally, it took me out of my power zone. And so for me, it was like the, the reason why trust is important is because I can focus on my skill set and the highest and best use of my skills and talents because I know that those complementary skills are taken care of. If I don't, I've got an open file in my brain that I basically that takes me out of power zone. 
it, it takes it takes up RAM, right? And like, let's yeah. bring it back to the personal side, which we started out the podcast with regards to personal. Like, if you don't have trust in, in if you don't have trust yeah. in your significant other, like, yeah. how much time? Like, just think about that, right? Because you can just it's a good context. If you don't have trust in your significant other, how much uh, energy, time, and emotions are you wasted on worrying about what yeah. the other person is going to do? Right. Yeah. That's what marriage is about. Right. If you don't have trust yeah. in your marriage and then you're going to be yeah. constantly thinking about it. So you can't move on. It's going to be a slow ride. Remember, what's our goal of a team? The goal of the team is to help you accelerate towards the goal, not to help you create anchors. And I think, you know, the whole point of you have lack of trust, it becomes a massive anchor and uh, and resentment and energy and, you know, emotions that are just purely wasted. Yeah. I'm going to give an example, which is, which basically treads on the toes of a couple of those concepts. When you talk about a team, there, are, there was a, a, a an AFL team in Australia, North Melbourne, who a few years ago, two of their star players were involved in a, in a kerfuffle because there was infidelity in between the players, mm. the, a player and uh, the wife of another player. So not only did that rock the, the relationship, but as a team, it tore the team apart because fundamentally right. they went, I don't now have trust, I, I may have trust on you as a player, but now I don't trust you as a person. So consequently, it unraveled the whole club and the whole team because fundamentally trust as a paradigm is gone. So that yeah. it really does highlight how important that is and how quickly it, it, it basically blows up an organization. Well, it's, it's no different than for people and teams where they are focused more on their individual stats or individual performance than actually where the team is supposed to go. And I think a uh, highlight of a good team is when team members are willing to sacrifice their own personal agenda and personal stats and personal uh, fame or whatever for the sake of winning championships, I think, you know, or winning, yep. you know, together. Uh, I think that's a show, show true sign. And that has to be a culture that it needs to be built upon. And that's where, you know, where we can end it on here, which is the leadership part, which is like, how do you lead a team um, to win championships? Or how do you lead a team to great, do great performance? I think it starts with culture. And culture yeah. is, a, you know, it's it's about the, but who sets the culture is the person who's leading the team. You know, the, as yeah. a leader, I think the fundamental thing is that you need to set the culture of what the team is supposed to look like. Um, I remember uh, listening to a friend of mine who, you know, runs two businesses and um, has a massive team of a thousand people. And, you know, he spent a couple of years like, you know, you know, uh, in Thailand, you know, talking about, you know, going through Stephen Covey's things and brought them in as consultants to kind of build, um, you know, the values of the team and, you know, on so on and so forth. And he spent two years and after a while, he goes like, why am I asking what my employees should think about the values of the team shouldn't i be the one who created the values of the team so he threw away you know one half year two years of consulting work with you know that team and go no, no here are the values you know here's what we're about here's what we and he's basically set the standard of the values uh which are you know inherent values of the company um and these are the values of what he needs people to be if you don't like the values then that's okay. Move on. Uh, but yeah. here's the values and then sets the culture. And that culture is about, you know, having a team leader and, uh, and setting the boundaries of what is right and what's wrong. I think that's really important. Perfect. That's a great example. And, and that probably does lead up to that next point of Patrick Lencioni's component about trust. Uh, trust is, is basically honesty and being honest with number one yourself, which in that example, I think your, your friend was honest with himself and said, okay, he, it's about, the guidance that I give and I need to communicate that from my perspective, but then also communicate. And we talked a, a bit about that in, in our um, episode already, 
was about being honest with people whether they're performing well or if they're not performing well um, and having those tough conversations, which you can't have, I guess, within that context as effectively unless you have that baseline of trust. So once you've got that, then you go, okay, how do we, how are we honest here? How do we communicate optimally and honestly with each other, whether it's good, bad or otherwise? And I'm going to tell you that the, the most impactful conversations that I've quite often had have been hard conversations, yes, with employees, but even with friends, but it was because we were prepared to go there that it, it elevated the quality of the relationship that we had. So I've never been scared of tough conversations on a personal level. I had to learn them in a business sense and purely from the perspective of, so here's the thing that I used to do, Lawrence, I'm not sure uh, if it has any relevance, but you know when you talk about being a goer, like I, I could get stuff done and I worked at 130% of my intensity what I did, I had an expectation that people could do the same. And when they didn't, what I did, and, and, and it was because I had a coach at the time who pulled me up on it and said, hey, do you know that you're minimising yourself to make the rest of the team feel comfortable, right? So you are the one who sets the tone of the, of the organisation, not the tail doesn't wag the dog. And that was like, boy, that was a really hard realisation to make. And so I got to the point where I went, hey, listen, here's where the standard is. I want you to stand by me. If you if you can't, then great, awesome. Um, you know, it's been awesome and great, but I can't minimise to make you feel comfortable. And that was, uh, I'm going to tell you how massive I, I think back to that and it brings up frustration and anger purely because for the longest time I didn't realise I was doing that. And I was yeah. the one who was compromising the performance of the team. And yeah, it actually just reminded me of another point on leadership. I think one of the jobs of a leader is to create psychological safety Safe, amongst exactly. the team, you know, and, 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 you know, based on what you sort of said, I think that safety, psychological safety, where it means that the team members need to feel that they can voice their honest opinions without being hmm. reprimanded or being um, made fun of. I think that is, that's hard to do as a leader, right? To be able to like be honest, but also like, you know, you can have honest feedback. We all want honest feedback, but at the same time, you you want to do it in a way where it's not like it's going to bring them to a level where they go, okay, well, I'm not going to do anything then, right? Or they're going to feel bad about themselves. It's like they want, if you want, like, you know, we all say, we love to have your feedback, but the reality is we're all human beings and the staff is not going to want to give you feedback because you don't, they don't know how it's going to impact them. Uh, mm. in their job, the safety of their job. So that if you can create a culture, an environment where there is psychological safety, where if that person says, hey, you know, Mary's not doing their job or Mary's like, you know, screwing around doing other things, they need to feel comfortable they can say that to you. If they don't yeah. feel that safety, there's no way they can tell you. And so therefore this thing goes on. And then when you do find out about Mary, why didn't you tell, why didn't anybody tell me? Well, because it's not yeah. because they didn't want to, it's because you didn't create an environment that allowed them to feel safe to do that. So yeah, I think that's totally. a really important element to a kind of culture we do. Yeah. Jim, like this has been an, like, I hope that everybody's been getting a lot. And you know, I know that you guys have been getting a lot of tons of value from just from today's podcast in regards to all the, the, the trials and tribulations of building a team, leading a team and creating a team. And uh, I hope that you can take these ideas and implement them and ask yourself the tough question, which is, have I been doing that so far? Mm. And if you haven't, um, what changes do I need to make moving forward? Because it does take time. It's not going to say that it's all, you know, when it's, it's not a finger, everything's going to change. But 
I encourage you to look at teams as an important value of your business, but more importantly, hiring and uh, and, and recruiting the right players in your team uh, is actually way more important than just hiring team for team's sake. So yeah. uh, that's the, the the thing that I want to kind of leave. Is there any lasting thoughts or, or um, things that you want to add to this? No, I think we covered it. It's a, it's a big it's a big topic, and we wanted to address it, but not basically say, look, it's the end of the road. This is like guidelines and tools. The whole the whole process of leadership and team is an ongoing process, and you get better at it the more you do, and the, <clears throat> pardon me, the better you get at it, the more you apply yourself. So, uh, no, I, 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 that'd be the only thing I'd add on top of that, Lawrence. Okay, excellent. Well, despite some of the technical difficulties and issues that we had during this podcast, uh, you probably may or may not notice even if you're listening. So, but the, the people who are watching the video and you would notice that I change backgrounds because uh, I'm that good. I'm able to kind of switch backgrounds uh, in, a, in an instant in the middle of a podcast. But uh, um, but anyways, I hope that you guys enjoyed this today and I uh, really love to some, hear some feedbacks from you guys around teams and what you guys are thinking about that. Uh, like always, please like and subscribe to us uh, on various podcast channels and YouTube and on video. And uh, if you feel like these are valuable to you and your team members or other entrepreneurs or other business people, please share this with others so that uh, that will really help us out. But more importantly, it will actually benefit them from the content we're creating. All right. Until next time, until next week, we'll speak to you soon. Bye-bye.